0: Hello ladies and germs. Today I'm talking to Aoife Lennox who's an introvert coach and trainer. She's the founder of Insight Strategies where she designs training courses, runs workshops and webinars and coaches introverts. She's also an introvert herself and this is what today's episode is going to be about. So we are talking very much about introversion how introversion fits into our organizations we talk about quiet leaders Eva shares her insights on what a quiet leader is and gives some tips on how they can develop how can introversion be made more uh, inclusive in organizations but we also reflect on some of our schooling and our education that we have both been through and how that has impacted us as individuals today we also talk quite extensively about the Montessori approach and its connection to leadership and the future of work. Here's my chat with Ifa enjoy. We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. Eva, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with me today. I'd like to start with my usual question that I ask all my guests, and that is, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: When I was little, I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to have my own business. And I remember we had a, a garage attached to our house, and I remember setting up various businesses in there. And I had to be the boss. I was in charge. So we'd coffee shops, we had dentists, oh, we little air, all sorts of things. So I was a pretty bossy child, I believe, <laughs> from what I told <laughs> and what I remember, <laughs> which is funny coming from the introvert. So we can talk about that. <laughs> oh, we're definitely
0: going to talk about introverts. And um, a question Do you think you were a good boss?
1: Mm. I definitely, I think I had a different idea of what a boss was back then. To what I think a boss should be now, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So as a boss back then, I was telling people what to do. <laughs> I'm have a different approach now.
0: So a, a slight m- amount of micromanagement then?
1: Possibly. <laughs> just a little bit, just a
0: little. Well, listen, we, we, we live and we learn, and that's kind of how uh, we develop. But I guess you managed to achieve that because you are your own boss, aren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is my second business. So yeah, I left the corporate world in 2005, stayed home with my kids for a few years. And then an opportunity came up in 2008 to return to live in Ireland because we had been living in the US and to open up a Montessori school. And I uh, did that for 10 years and finished in 2018 and then in 2019 started this business Inside strategy. so yeah and as you say growing and learning the whole time.
0: Brilliant actually it's quite quite surprising about the Montessori thing I didn't realize that and coincides with my sister has daycare centers a couple of them and she's will be potentially converting one of them into a Montessori basement. I actually need to read up on Montessori because I don't know what that is I know it's a psychological approach I guess to develop development or education but I actually need to educate myself a little bit more what that entails
1: and it's actually so fascinating because Maria Montessori who started the philosophy she was a woman just ahead of her time and so much of her thinking about Montessori and how to create an environment for children to learn I think applies to organizations and leadership so if I just give you one example like in a Montessori classroom the goal is that you create a prepared environment so ideally the teacher shouldn't be seen almost or heard if you do it right and the children are able to work independently and if you think about organizations and in my area of kind of introversion and quiet leadership that's the goal like that employees want a lot of autonomy and the goal is to kind of create this environment where they can do their work and your, your job as a leader is to support them. So I think there's a lot of parallels between the Montessori approach and kind of leadership and the future of work. So, I'll send you some book recommendations to read and, and see what you think. <laughs> please do,
0: please do. That is actually fascinating because mm. um, I was talking to Andrea Stromeyer. She's a consultant. She's got her own business, Culture by Design, and she was on, on the previous episode. And we were actually talking about looking beyond the organization of, you know, we can only do so much within the organizations to help help people develop, help people grow. But there will be a point where we will have to actually say to the systems before they get to the organizations. So let's, in this example, education systems, they need to change how they prepare people to go into the other organizations, because at this moment, there is already a big disconnect between the two. And I've got a feeling that gap is getting wider and wider and wider. To the point, controversially, I think that it will actually get to a, such a massive divide where the organizations are going to go, listen, you have to do something because we can't take the burden and it's it's just causing way too much havoc. So I'll definitely be reading up on, on, on the Montessori approach, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. And in Ireland, we have something what's called a leaving cert, and that's the final exam students do in school. And it's still based on really industrial age sort of, you know, kind of rote learning. And I mean, it's changing slowly, but literally your entrance into college is based on this <laughs> one set of exams at the end of school. Now, COVID has been really interesting from that regard because last year the exam didn't get to take place and there's question marks as to whether it will this year. So it's actually causing a change, but I absolutely agree and the children themselves, I have a 17 year old son, they they want a different approach and they want to be better prepared to go out into organizations and not to be forced to kind of learn. You know, information is available now. People can, you can look anything up. Why do you have to learn it off, learn this rote learning? You can look anything up and we need to prepare our people differently as to how they go into organizations so yeah I agree there's a big disconnect and it's interesting because in Montessori in the early years they're actually been prepared for critical thinking and all these things that we want and then they're sent into school and they're taught to sit at your table and don't speak for you know unless you're asked a question <laughs> you know so yeah we, we we need to change it up but yeah it's really interesting.
0: Well, it's good. it's good to know that there are more and more initiatives like that, because even looking at uh, people closest to me, for example, my nephew, he's 13 at this moment, and my sister, who's a psychologist by trade, looks back and says, you know, we probably should have sent him to a different school in terms of the diff- different approach that would have benefited, benefited him a lot more. He's an intelligent and bright kid, but he could have developed... Differently, I guess, it's hard to say whether in a better way, but I think uh, he probably would be a more rounded teenager if, if he potentially was in a different system that suited him a little bit better. Because we get we get this approach in school, we're being taught to to pass exams, basically, rather than critical thinking, and then we go into a work environment where there's a complete disconnect in how things are done. It's it's actually quite shocking. And there are also fundamental differences between educational systems. I've gone through two at higher, higher education levels. So I've done a university degree, a bachelor's in Poland, and I've done another bachelor's in, in the UK. Completely different subjects, completely different topics. Drastic difference. To give you an idea, my first year at university in Poland, I had 40 hours of lectures and workshops per week 40, 440 when i got to the uk and throughout of my throughout my three years i had 12 hours of lectures per week it felt like a holiday it has oh, of course a lot of independent work and stuff like that but that's the difference independent work for critical thinking for different approach to learning versus cramming and keeping somebody in the school for 40 hours a week and just absolute information overload with topics. if there were if the topics were useful some of them were yes but a lot of them were just g- genuinely gap fillers that's all they were
1: yeah 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 there's a really interesting book out called range by david epstein and he talks about students in uk schools versus scottish schools And because in UK schools, I guess it's probably like Ireland where you're kind of forced to specialise, like you do a degree in something rather than a broad degree. And I think in Scotland, maybe it's a slightly different system and that students in Scotland were less likely to change career eight years down the line. So when we're forced to specialise, because the whole premise of his book is the broader the range of our experience and education, the more likely we are to kind of, we have flexibility then to figure out where we fit in and where we want to go. But when we're forced very early on to specialize, it's very hard then for us to figure out. So I did a degree in hotel and catering management. I had no idea what was involved in that. I worked in a hotel as a teenager. I thought it might be fun. And the month before I started my degree, a chef's uniform arrived and I was like, what is this? I have no interest in working in a kitchen of any sort. And I had to endure two years of every Wednesday afternoon, putting on this chef's uniform, because the idea was, if you want to be a hotel manager and run a hotel, you have to understand every aspect of the business. And I get that. And, and, and that is true, but I, I haven't worked in a hotel since. And so really for me, that was enduring two years of learning to cook that I still am not a great cook. So, you know, it just wasn't. So (laughs) I think you're really, you know, and as I say, I have a 17 year old now starting to think about what he's going to do. I would just love to see a lot more flexibility in our educational offerings and that people get to try and even in in high schools and secondary schools, try out photography, try out psychology, try out, try everything, do a module on everything and see what you like and see what sticks. And really, you know, we talk about these words of passion and purpose, but we're not really following through on them and we're not, you know, people don't really have the opportunity to follow their passion and purpose. It's a bit idealistic, I
0: think. It's, it's definitely is, but you know what? And, and I'm not being negative towards teenagers and people who deciding what to study at university when they're 18 or 19, but what do they know about their passions and their purpose? They're exactly still experimenting. So having somebody commit to three Five years or sometimes even longer, depending on on the the, the area you're going into. That's insanity.
1: David Epstein, in that book, he says, you're making decisions for a person who doesn't even exist yet because you're going to be different tomorrow to how you are today. And so at 18, you're deciding on a career for a person that just doesn't exist.
0: I thought that was really profound. When I, I love that. that. I love, I love how, how that's framed because you, you can't <laughs> in a way. Well, even when you finish, okay, you've chosen what you want to go into three years later, you have, you're what, 22, 23, depending. And you have to be facing this situation. What do I do? And what do people do? And I'll, I'll raise my hand. That's what I did. You do another degree. Because it's like, oh my God, it's real life. I need to make a decision. I one, two, Event management sounds good. I'll do that. You know, I'm grateful. I'm genuinely grateful for both degrees that I did. First one was English studies. Second one was event management. And the first one allowed me to go to the UK and... Uh, study there because i've learned the language i spoke english very well but that brought me to a whole new level it basically prepared me to be a an english teacher which I've, i never was yes i did do some tutoring on the side and some placements that was it never gone into that never actually had uh, the willingness to do that potentially translation interpretation that was that was the that was the plan but then that prepared me from a language point of view to study in the uk but also now 15 20 years down the line however long it's been it's actually come full circle for the simple reason that it prepared me to be a trainer to be a teacher to be a workshop facilitator and that's what i do now so all in all it has connected and event management spoke to my project management side and again that's what i've been doing for many years and that's what i do to a certain extent now so it does all connect but i had to go through that i had to experiment and we have to give people that opportunity
1: yeah, and you're right. And a lot of other coaches, trainers that I meet, they've never run their own business. And they say, I have no idea about marketing, no idea about finance. And I'm so grateful now for my business degree, because even though I would to endure all the different classes, but but it stood to me because, yeah, you have that knowledge. And that's what what David Epstein says in the book Range as well. He says, like, you know, we have to pay homage to to the value of wide experience and how that can apply then to lots of different situations rather than saying you know you should be an expert or you should specialize because actually when you have a broader range of experience you can apply that to different situations and that's really valuable and you bring an outside in perspective too which is really good right so you can see different ideas and maybe problem solve a little bit better too so it's really interesting
0: well we we need different types of people with different skill sets both experts and generalists obviously i'm biased because i i am a generalist and that's what what, what I thrive by doing all sorts of things to a pretty good standard, but not an expert in any of them. But that's, that's fine, because then I love working with experts. I love going to somebody who knows a lot, met- a lot more than I do in a certain area and saying, listen, I need your help. I need guidance. I need you to potentially do something for me because you're the expert. And that kind of when I was project manager, that's what I used to do. I didn't know I didn't have to know what people did but I trusted mm. them that's they know what they're doing because they're specialists in the areas and so you tell me what to do that what needs to be done I believe you will work that out and that's kind of how I work. to to the often frustration of my superiors that I didn't keep close tabs on you know what's going on in the project I did because the projects were always delivered in time and under budget but it was just done in a different way to con- contrary to usual expectations. And and I think um, that was more of a problem than me actually letting people do things their own way. That people, my management, my superiors were, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. But hey, ho.
1: Yeah. And your skill was actually in, in bringing the experts together and getting the best out of people to come together to get the project done rather than kind of micromanaging and, you know. You let you let people do what they do well, which is good. Exactly, and then you're Mm. you're
0: you're surprised with the positive results, or sometimes with spectacular failures. But that's it has a place.
1: Mm. Exactly,
0: Mm. it has a you know failures have a have a place.
1: Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was writing something this morning, and uh, for a course that I'm working on, and it was a quote by Winston Churchill, and he said, "Success is uh, failure after failure without losing enthusiasm," something like that. Love that quote. (laughs) <laughs> you just keep going. Keep trying. You just keep going. Is, is, it,
0: is it his quote uh, or a partial quote of, if you're going through hell, keep going
1: yeah that's, yeah, his, that's isn't it? great i don't know is it yeah but that's great
0: i'm pretty certain it yeah. is i'm going to double check that so please don't uh hold me to that but i yeah. think it is and then again you know if you yeah, tough times tough times just yeah. keep going sooner or later they will mm. pass even relating that to maybe not necessarily it was hell but going through a degree that you don't see the purpose of the point of like you did Mm -hmm. five ten ten years down the line actually you know what those skills that I acquired then when I was actually hating it so useful so handy because they shaped you as a human being
1: yeah, yeah. And as my husband said, I wouldn't have met him if I hadn't done that degree. So there you go. Oh, but there you we go. <laughs> you, you,
0: should, you should have led with that. Don't worry. In, <laughs> in, in, in post-edit, I'll, I'll put that in as your first answer, just so in case your husband listens. He'd
1: be happier with that. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Eva, you you are an expert in introverts, extroverts. You, we, we recorded a podcast previously on that very topic in remote work environments. And obviously, that's something that I'd love to pick your brain on in more broader context. Of personality types, culture inclusivity, and everything around that.
1: Well, I'll challenge one thing that you said, I'm definitely not an expert. (laughs) But I'm an introvert. And I'm, I'm really interested in this area. And I'm learning, I think, every day. So, but you know, building on our previous comment of experts and specialists, but I suppose I do specialize in looking at this area. But yeah, I definitely don't claim to know at all. Certainly at this (laughs) stage.
0: You definitely know more than I do. And more definitely more than a lot of people, that's for sure. And whether somebody's an expert is the I believe that it's dependent on the person's point of view. So from my point of view, I, I see, definitely see you as an expert because you know more than I do so you would be the person that I'd go to. I similar to you tend to avoid the word expert or class myself as an expert. For that reason, as I said, it just depends on who's, who's, who's kind of concerned. That's one. second element is because I'm always learning, I'm always developing. So I specialize in something and I wouldn't necessarily call myself an expert rather more than a stu- more, more a student of the topic of the area that I will continue learning throughout. Uh, probably my, my, the rest of my career. Tell us a little bit more about uh, kind of your view on, on introverts and extroverts and how all of that fits into company culture. And I'm purposely keeping this broad to let you have the opportunity to kind of start where you think it's most important.
1: Yeah, great. So look, I was 41 before I picked up my first book on being an introvert. And it really came from the situation, actually, of running my own Montessori school. First time running a business, leading a team, and I suppose coming up against all the different challenges. And it was coming towards the end of, of running that business. I knew I was going to be selling it the following year. And I was kind of like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What, what am I actually suited to? What, what do I do well? And this book just popped out at me and you know i never would have dis- described myself as an extrovert but i never reflected on whether was i an introvert what did it mean to be an introvert what's the impact of being an introvert so that was really the starting point for me so i've spent the past 4 years looking at this area of being an introvert particularly around career and business what is the impact is there any impact and you know maybe from a leadership perspective how do you how do you engage your team and and how do you do you need to change things at all and as we're talking about culture you know I suppose what what again what one influence or impact a culture has or vice versa in somebody fitting into an organisation and and engaging with them. So I suppose what I found to maybe just summarise kind of some of the theory around it is that our temperament, whether we're lean more towards introversion or extroversion, is determined about fifty percent genetic and fifty percent based on our own experience. So we definitely carry a large part of us with us. So. Many of us can learn to adapt. We put on a work mask, we can adopt characteristics to fit into whatever we have to do. So, you know, if you find, okay, I'm an introvert, that doesn't define you, that doesn't need to hold you back in any way. But I think it does help to have an awareness of your personality or your temperament and reflect on how that might be impacting you. So for me, I hated conflict. I found challenging, challenging somebody on something really difficult. I'm a perfectionist, so making mistakes was a big issue. Confidence was becoming an issue. I had my own style of leadership, which is kind of what's now termed quiet leadership, which is kind of a cool style of leadership and fits really well into the future work. But I didn't know I was actually doing that. I just thought I wasn't assertive enough. So all of these things were coming up for me. And then I read this book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, and that introverts have a whole range of strengths that actually make you really powerful and really strong and you just need to be aware of them and tap into them. And so that that's really the mission I suppose that I'm on today. It's to how do we create meaningful work experiences with with this awareness of our personality and what we can do with it.
0: That's a fascinating journey and I remember our previous conversation and one of the, the few things, because I always thought, you know, I'm, I'm a mixture of both, which I always kind of found a, a little bit strange. But our previous conversation opened kind of a mind to, to the whole concept that I think a lot of people actually also struggle with or get wrong. You've said that yourself, is that we often we class ourselves, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert. It's one or the other. When in reality, that's not true. It's dependent on so many circumstances, most of all, depending on the environment that you're in. And I, from my side, know that with people I know, or in kind of one-on-one interactions, I'm more of an extrovert. When I go into a group environment with people that I don't know, and I don't feel confident, my go-to mode is observe. I'm kind of the fly on the wall there. If I'm asked a question, I'll contribute, but I'm not going to go out of my way. I'll kind of more listen to people. And I think that's where a lot of the time we think that we have to be, that we can kind of conditioned. Don't we say we're one or the other, all the personality types, tests and things like that. Fantastic tools. Definitely. I love using them. And I'll actually a bit later on like to pick your brain on what's your favorite one, but they they shouldn't be taken as gospel that you're you're this you're pigeonholed because again as as we said at the start of this conversation we are all molded in different ways and shaped in different ways for our lives by experiences and and schooling that we get and things that we've tried doing and working that you can't be one thing or two things it's it's multiple things actually shape you and i think the introvert and extrovert thing within the workplace is a fascinating topic. In that respect, what have you seen in in managing introverts and extroverts within the, within the the work that you do that organizations often get so often get wrong or misunderstand?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is the the emphasis that that the introvert is the person who needs to change. And and trying to get the more reserved, cautious, serious, quieter personality type, trying to push them, you have to speak up, you have to do that presentation, you have to develop that skill, you have to, and I suppose I'd, I'd ask the question why, like, looking at your processes and how you do your work, like, is there another way to do this, you know? And I had a conversation yesterday with somebody around, you know, having a, a brainstorming session with 14 people and how do you make sure that everybody contributes? And it was actually afterwards I was reflecting on it And really what you need to say is, why do I need to have a brainstorming session with 14 people? Because a brainstorming session will naturally suit the more extrovert personality because extroverts talk to think. So they talk it out in order to be able to process. But introverts think to talk. They process internally. So having a brainstorming session with 14 people is never going to suit an introvert who needs to take time to think. So I think organizations take a step back and it kind of goes back to the conversation on Montessori it's like what is the best environment for everybody to thrive what are the best processes that we put in place and if we're doing something one way now and people aren't contributing or speaking up well, rather than thinking this person has to change maybe change the environment so in the Montessori classroom if we had challenging behavior we would always take a step back and look and see What are we not doing right? What are we not getting right here that's triggering this child to act up in the classroom rather than saying he's got to go in a timeout corner or he's got to do this or he's whatever. We look at the environment. So I think that's what organisations are not getting right and that's what they need to to change. And that's how we create environments where everybody thrives because you've got this flexibility, this openness where everybody can be the best they can be really rather than saying it has to fit one personality or another. Does that make sense?
0: it does make sense but i'm going to play devil's advocate here yeah. and i'm going to be one of those managers leaders business owners who says if uh, all nice sounds all nice and good mm. uh, i don't i don't have the time i don't have the resources to kind of be model coddling the, the quiet people who don't really contribute and and all all sorts of things so it's, now what what do you say to arguments like that which often maybe not spoken but you can mm. sense sense the 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 energy That that kind of that's there. How do you tackle that?
1: Yeah. So so what do you do then with statistics that say that only fifteen percent of employees are highly engaged at work? So that's some Gallup, and Gallup would say that if employees are not highly engaged, they're looking for a job. They're on the job ads every second day. So the question then is: Do you want to keep your staff? Do you want them to be engaged? Do you want them to perform? They say there's a thirty three percent productivity gap from from introverts not being fully engaged in the workplace. So, and I think the environment is actually going to change, is actually going to force this change. And we've seen this with the pandemic. Organizations have been forced to change, forced to work remotely, forced to look at how they do things. I I just finished reading a great book, Corporate Rebels. And like these two guys have traveled around the world and they've looked at organizations that have taken really progressive approaches to make work more fun. And they've tried crazy stuff which might sound crazy, but actually not not so crazy. And they've seen how it worked. So for the manager who's reluctant to change, I would say it's going to come to a stage where you actually don't have a choice and you're actually going to have to move with it. And we talk about being agile and change, but the environment is going to force businesses to change. You have to keep up. And even, you know, I have a friend who works in a very traditional organization, big multinational, and she was talking about a performance review. And it just, to me because my head's in a different space now, it just sounds so archaic that her boss could just give her a specific piece of feedback when I know she's put blood, sweat and tears into her work over the past year, you know? So I think, you know, if you're that manager, you can you can stay on that road if you want, but I think you're gonna be forced off at a certain stage because I think people are demanding, you know? And we, and we talked about education, right? And young people coming up into the workforce and millennials and Gen Z and all that. They're going to make it happen. They're going to, you know, they're they're not going to tolerate it, really. I mean, I have a 17 year old and he's like, I'm never going to work for that. I'm never going to do that. You know, (laughs) okay, he might might have to when he's got bills to pay and so forth. But but they're going to have the energy and the motivation to change. I think they will. So I feel I feel pretty uh, inspired by younger people, too, and the motivation to change.
0: Godspeed to them. That's for sure. I <laughs> I often find myself talking to people, and I when I topics like so you your your friend that you mentioned going through PDPs or you know all sorts of development plans at works and 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 big corporations and things like that, and I often find myself talking about them and before I realize I I, I'm ranting about it to somebody I'm talking to you know because I'm so wound up about it how things are done and I'm just going oh my god and I've got these visions that and I've mentioned this many times on this podcast is that I often feel and think I'm unhinged I should be confined to a mental asylum for some uh, for, for people who are way too idealistic about these things of how organizations should be but then Every now and again, usually when when I feel think that something happens, I discover a new person, new company that does something that I've never heard of. I'm going. Actually, you know what? I'm not unhinged. An I'm not an idealist because somebody's already doing that. So it's just a question of us investing more time and effort into that becoming the norm rather than the exception. And then then I think that like, I'm not an idealist if it already exists. We just need more effort in that and as i said godspeed to 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 your son and all the next gen kind of the generations ahead of us so kind of going into that we you and i and many other people are doing our best to help that and kind of set them up uh, for that for that success i, I, I believe
1: i'm with you on, on the idealism and yeah we we just we need managers and leaders to start making some of these changes and that's really what needs to happen, and and it's through these conversations and just spreading of this word, I suppose as well. I think is really, really, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll
0: we'll get there. We'll we'll get there. But actually, kind of, I wanted to bring it to the to the next level, quite literally, of of company structures. You mentioned just managers and and leaders who need to do certain things. What's your take? What have you observed when it comes to introverted? leaders.
1: Yeah, really interesting. And in the conversation I had with somebody yesterday, he gave the example of a leader within an organization who presumably was, was introverted, we don't know, because he was getting the perspective from one of the employees that intro, that introverted leader was coming across as very standoffish and wasn't openly interacting with everybody, but they were probably a quiet leader, they were probably introverted themselves. So I suppose introverted leaders can do a few things. First of all, they're great role models. And I think more introverted leaders need to share their experience of being an introvert and being a leader. Secondly, the approaches that introverted leaders take, the quiet leadership kind of strategies... Are really powerful because they're the kind of approaches that will promote I think the flexibility and the change within the workplace so not so much of the top-down approach but giving employees a lot of autonomy a lot of freedom putting the emphasis on check-ins like one-to-one check-ins and coaching and building those relationships which as you said like in a one-to-one scenario introverts are generally more comfortable rather than having the big team meetings and, and, you know, meetings have been shown to be pretty ineffective most of the time, really. So just just eliminate an awful lot of those meetings and focus on the one to one. So I'm really excited because I think quiet leaders and introverted leaders can play a really, really important role in demonstrating how organizations can be structured in the future and, and building on their their natural strengths of listening and empathy and curiosity and, and building those one to one relationships um, can create really flexible work environments that are really nice to work in you know so so I, I think they play a, a pretty powerful role going forward
0: trying to make this a little bit more practical to hmm. people listen so if somebody's listened to this episode and is inspired to take action for them as a because they're either an organization or they want to change their teams or their organizations I know this is this is going to be such a broad question but w- what would you recommend that they do? Where do they start? Kind of resources that they use, frameworks or or any type of tests and things like that they can introduce to start building maybe that awareness and making these introductions into into the business. Of course, apart from contacting you and saying, "Eva, help, please
1: which I'm happy to do. (laughs) (laughs) Of
0: course, of course. I highly recommend that anyone does. But if they, if they want to do a bit of legwork before they contact you, what would you suggest uh, would be the starting point for them?
1: Okay. So if we have an introverted leader, is it of a team and they want to start having these conversations? Okay, perfect. Yeah. So first of all, drawing awareness, I suppose, having open conversations with your team and say, you know, talk about personality, talk about temperament, talk about your work style. Like I don't think being an introvert is is talked about or being an extrovert or talk about our differences and how we might approach things. Like the extrovert talks it out, the introvert process internally. So, so get some conversations going within your team, first of all, building trust through those one-to-one relationships. As an introverted leader, sometimes it can feel like a little bit, I think of a vulnerable place because I suppose our perception of leadership is this quite assertive, strong, confident person. So, when you're not naturally that, you can feel a little bit vulnerable. That's certainly where I felt as a leader. And I felt like I should be more assertive and I should be more confident. It was only towards the end of running my business that I started to kind of be okay with the vulnerability, be okay with the openness, and be okay with I'm letting my my team run with what they do really well. And I'm here as a support. role rather than the leader so so the leader themselves maybe will have to go on a little bit of a of a journey kind of reviewing their own strengths reflecting on how they approach things what they do well and then identifying areas of growth you know so maybe maybe whether it's having challenging conversations maybe it's in giving feedback those sort of things can be can be difficult sometimes how do you how do you be influential as a leader as a quiet leader too it can be challenging and I think you can be influential and empowering through engaging your staff kind of rather than in in a kind of very visual way if that makes sense or I suppose you're you're influential in how you get the job done rather than being overly assertive and kind of you know commanding the room sort of sort of approach there's a great book which I haven't read yet and it's about a submarine captain and how he takes over running the submarine and they've been used to a very command and control kind of approach and he doesn't take that approach but he says the people his team are paralyzed at the beginning because none of them want to take the initiative themselves or make any decisions themselves because they've been used to being told what to do So he talks about his journey and kind of getting them empowered, I suppose, using his quiet leadership style. And he managed to do that within the U.S. Navy, you know, within a very structured, traditional organization. And he got that submarine to be up to like the second best in, in the world or whatever, you know, which was really interesting. So quiet leaders can be really influential But you don't have to take the kind of command and control and micromanaging approach and don't feel like you have to do that, because I think you can feel like you should be doing something else because it's kind of a softer style of leadership and sometimes it's seen as a bit weak, but it doesn't have to be.
0: Yeah, it's de- definitely that perception that if you're quiet, if you don't, if basically if you're not ex- not an extrovert, you're you're the weaker one because you don't mm-hmm. say, don't speak up, and things like that. Which completely disagree with that. That book that you mentioned, do you remember the title of it by any chance?
1: The book I'm reading, I don't have it in front of me, is Nine Lies About Work, and he, the authors of that reference. The submarine captain. You know, I can send it to you afterwards if you want to. That would be it great in.
0: because you it rings a bell, and I've, I've yeah. definitely heard of this before. And I'm wondering yeah. whether it might have been when we were speaking last time that you've mentioned it to me, because I've definitely heard of that definitely yeah
1: and i have heard of it myself as well from other books and other references so and and again it's a book i have to read so i'll send that to you afterwards
0: Mm. just uh mention you mentioned vulnerability uh Mm. the book that is on my list i've been meaning to read mostly because of the topic that the the author specializes in is dare to lead Mm. which is by uh, Brené brown Brown. i've read her previous book of, of Daring Greatly, I believe, which is fantastic book, Mm. absolutely amazing. And it's all about vulnerability. And Mm. she takes that a step further in Dare to lead, where she applies the same concept because she, she studies vulnerability, and she applies the same concepts to leadership, and what that means. And I'm actually quite surprised that it's taken me this long because it's been on my reading list for a long, long time and I haven't actually yet got to it, considering how I'm fascinated I am by the topic. So I think I might move it up the the order of yeah. the list.
1: The I don't know if some of your listeners might resonate with this, but but something that comes up for for introverts quite a lot is dealing with failure and and making mistakes. And I just learned recently that we actually have these neural pathways, I think it's called error relative network. And they've done studies to show that certain people who are highly reactive, and that actually would be introverts. So introverts are highly reactive to the environment around them, which is why they get overstimulated and shut down. So people who are highly reactive actually have extra activities in these error neural pathways. And so when you make a mistake, you feel it really deeply. And so I think that's where the vulnerability comes in as well, because if you react heavily to a mistake that you've made, it's very difficult to be vulnerable. So you really have to adopt, you know, the growth mindset in that we're all human, we're all learning. It's okay to make mistakes. What can I take from it? What can I learn from it? And and that's where the vulnerability and the openness, and that's certainly the journey that I've been on. But I see that pattern with introverts as well, which is interesting.
0: That's fa- That's fascinating, and I'd love to. Lo- I'd love to learn a little bit more about that because I never consider it f- so deep on a uh, physiological level. I know that a lot of times we like we've got gut feeling, and that's associated with just our kind of primal brain, or, or however we want to call that. That is not able to speak because it hasn't developed in that part of the brain That, it but it lets us know through different ways and uh, how often right it is that there's those so, so times i'm so dangerous. and i think if i remember right simon sinek talks about that when in this concept of the golden circle starting with why that it's so important because the why sits in that original very kind of primal part of our development brain however we want to call that and it's a fascinating topic
1: and that helps people who want to to stretch and grow and if as an introvert you find you're you're being held back focusing on the purpose it really does help i mean i've done podcasts presentations webinars that i never thought i would do but because i feel passionate about what i'm talking about that helps get you over the line you know so so the, the why of what you're doing is really important
0: and you are considering launching your own podcast now, aren't you?
1: <laughs> I know. Now I've said it publicly twice. So I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> I I've, I
0: might have done that on purpose, uh, but we'll 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 never know. I guess. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I, I, I'm I'm sure it would be a fantastic, fantastic <laughs> show to be able to listen to And also, one of the reasons is because. We could be talking about this forever. I'm not at that stage yet where this podcast can be a Tim Ferriss or Jack Willick length, which is can be three plus hours. But this topic is so important, and even a three-hour podcast episode would not make it do it justice. So... I think there's definitely a need for a dedicated one. Uh, I will strongly encourage you to do, and I will point everybody in your direction if you if you do do that. Thank you. Other than potentially like launching a podcast in the future, what have you got coming up in the next few months that you're really excited about?
1: So I have been uh, working on content for a course that I'm developing. So I want to have an online course out there so that people have that resource to go to. And I think it's a good starting point if you were thinking to get coaching, that maybe you take the course first because it gives you a lot of information and awareness about the experience of being an introvert. And so I've been working on that for a while. And that is my goal that needs to happen and get up. I've been procrastinating a little bit about it, but uh, because doing videos isn't my favorite thing to do. But yeah, so. So, so that's, that's up there. My new website was um, launched in December. So insidestrategies.ie that's up there as well. And I'm just continuing to build coaching and, you know, I'm working with organizations and consulting with them on, on how to create meaningful work experiences uh, for everybody. So, yeah, so it's, so it's exciting. Building a business is, is scary, vulnerable. It's a journey, but it's, it's great learning. So it's good.
0: And so much fun when you get to that point of of a milestone and you look back and you went and you go, damn, I've I've done that. I've done that. And I thought I never would. I got here, whatever it might be. And it's about celebrating those little wins and stopping there and and, and quite literally marveling at it. And you say, yes, that's that's me. And just remember that feeling next time when you have to quite literally embrace the suck of something that you don't want to do. And uh, you mentioned procrastination. I think it's also a part of it that's just how it is i'll be sure to include links to your website and when the time is right to the course and also the podcast whenever that (laughs) arrives not that i'm putting pressure on you Uh, (laughs) Efe, it's been absolutely lovely uh talking to you thank you very much for for joining me today
1: thank you so much
0: It's me again. Just one more thing before you take off. Head over to human.pm forward slash we got this. That's all one word where you can find this and previous episodes show notes, suggest a guest or topic, ask a question or join the community of other listeners. Until next time.